Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Travel Brand Podcast. I am you, but that does not mean that you are me. Ha, funny, funny one. <laughs> and I sincerely hope that you are well. I'm doing pretty well. I might have misspoke just a little bit about this new position I have. Basically, for the last week or so, I've been used as a laborer. Dude wanted me to frame a 30-foot scaffold, and I told him, Dude, I'm not comfortable doing that. Number one, it's, it's a safety issue. Number two, I didn't sign on to be your framer, man. I framed for years, and I'm kind of uh, retired from that position. Of course, I didn't tell him I got a fucked-up shoulder, because you know how that can be. They can say, hmm. So I did a little bit of the plumber's job by burying his pipe in the under slab area. And then once I did that, it had me lay out plastic. And then I had to put in the rigid foam. And then I had to put in the wire mesh. Now, as far as I know and as far as I'm concerned, that's the plumber's job. And then the rigid and all that other shit belongs to the concrete guy. Once my boss gets back from his vacation, I will be having a word with him on the scope of work that the trades are supposed to follow. And another thing is this. My fellow superintendent, and I do mean fellow, he's not above me, he's not below me, we're equal. And when he asked me to do these laboring things, he says, I'd like for you to do me a favor. Will you help me do these things? I said, sure, I'll help you. But all week long, he hasn't been helping me. He'll give me an order and then he'll run off and do something. We're only doing one project right now. It's not like we have ten projects and he's like super duper busy and has to, you know, do a bunch of work, man. It's not like he has a whole shitload of trades to babysit and make sure they know what they're doing. No. I got back to the office the other day and he's sitting at his computer and he had done like three emails and he's acting super duper 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 busy come on man if I'm gonna be in the trenches you need to be in the trenches right along with me we can get it done a lot faster and I won't be down there copping an attitude while you're sitting in your truck eating your lunch and I'm down there working in the trenches man so anyhow I didn't sign on to be the in-house laborer or framer I get paid a decent wage. I get paid a very good wage, in fact. But I refuse to be the in-house Indian, if you know what I'm saying. And another thing, I think he thinks that I am Mexican. He's made a couple of references toward the Mexican language on me, like hola and si and taco. Dude, I just look at him like, Excuse me? And I won't say anything. But sooner or later, I'm going to have to tell him, Dude, you're barking up the wrong tree, man. I am not Hispaniard. I am an American Indian. I don't like to pull that card out a lot. I'm not from Mexico, man. I'm from the res. That's what I'm going to have to say to him. In fact, for years and years and years, I was mistaken for being Mexican, Hawaiian, Filipino, Spaniard, And a couple of times, even Asian. So, I can kind of understand where he might get that idea. So anyway, enough of that guy. 
I'm not going to waste any more time on that. I'll deal with that next week. So uh, the other day was my grandmother's birthday and Adeline Smith. Uh, she would have been 101 years old. But now we're coming up on her death day as well. The 19th of March is when she died in my apartment with myself and my wife and my cousin. She chose to come to the city and live with me the last two days of her life. See, we went down there on a Sunday to visit with her. She wasn't doing very well. And right about the time we were getting ready to leave, she asked me if she could come with me. And my wife and myself, we look at each other and we're like, yeah, of course, let's go, let's go. Let's get ready. So she came over on a Sunday evening and we got through Monday and uh, she died on Tuesday. And I watched her try and take her last breath. She was the love of my life. See, I never really got to know my grandmother that well until the mid-90s. Like I said before, I grew up in the city, so I didn't have a whole lot to do with the reservation. But I do remember as a child living in Bellingham, she would come and see us once in a while. And she bought me my first pair of bell-bottoms, man. And they were awesome. They had white stripes, blue stripes, red stripes. And they were cool as shit. I loved them. And I'll never forget that. She bought me some other clothing too, but the bell bottoms, those were the shit, man. I'm talking mid 60s. I, you know, I look like the monkeys, bruh. The monkeys. And no, I'm not talking about our distant relatives, but the band, the monkeys. So let's not get those things crossed up, my friends. It was a huge, huge honor to have her come to our home and pass away. The most devastating thing that ever happened in my life. But she knew that she couldn't pass on the reservation because there was nobody there. She did not want to be found after a day or two or three days. I did have a cousin that probably would have found her almost immediately, but she didn't want that for herself. There wasn't many people that really looked in on her down there. There wasn't very many people who really cared about my grandmother, Adeline Smith. Look her up. She had a lot to do with the languages being resurrected down on the Elwha. She had a lot to do with the dam removal down at the Elwha. She didn't have a whole lot to do with the dam removal itself, but she had a voice in it. See, when they built that dam, they flooded where she was born down in the valley. Her home was flooded. And so it meant a lot to her to have that taken out before she passed. And she was really very excited about it and very happy. My grandmother was a very happy woman and very, very forgiving. I had a cousin who stole checks from her so she could buy her pills. And my grandmother said, oh, she must have needed it more than I. And she forgave her. There's a lot of us that didn't really forgive her. But I figured if my grandmother could do it, and it doesn't really matter much to me. It wasn't my money, it was hers. But it's just one of them things my grandmother helped. Whoever came down there, whoever wanted to stay with her, she would open her door and say, sure, come on in and stay with me. And they would turn on her and they would steal from her. So she ended up hiding her money. Mostly she just wanted company. Mostly she just wanted people to come down and, and visit. 
and make her feel like she was loved. Well, she was loved by me, and she was loved by my wife. She would come down on Thanksgiving. In fact, the last Thanksgiving we had with her, she came. Now, this is hard to believe, but it's very, very freaking true. She would always be in the back room. She would say, don't forget, don't forget I get the wing. And you could hear her back there, and we'd giggle, and we'd laugh. Yes, Grandma, you're going to get the wing. And the very next Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving that she missed, I'm unpeeling the freaking turkey, and there's a wing in there that's missing a big old chunk out of it. I swear on her grave. In fact, we have a picture of it somewhere, but it blew my mind. Absolutely. And at that very instant, I knew... I knew that my grandmother had a spirit that was still around somewhere and that was still with me and my family. I miss her dearly. It's been six years and I miss her every day. She was my rock. She was my love. She was the love of my life. See, when she was born, she was born in 1918, five years before becoming a citizen of this fine country. And she had my mother in 1940. Well, in those times, grandmother wasn't going to live on the reservation because she knew that's just not going to happen. So she's working in Seattle. She gets pregnant. She knows that she can't take care of my mother and work at the same time. So she finds a woman to look out for my mom. Well, this woman ends up going to Bellingham and eventually supposedly adopts my mother without my grandmother signing off on it. I don't know the whole story. I do not know the real story. But all I know is what Grandma told me. So I have to believe what she said. So my mom ends up being adopted, and that's where she was raised in Bellingham. But during this time, Grandmother, she worked in the shipyard. Yeah, the shipyard during the war. She ends up retiring from a chicken farm up in Seattle somewhere. I don't know where it was, but... She was so proud of her jobs. That's where she retired from. She was in a chicken factory. And that's how she was. She just worked. In fact, she worked into her 90s. She was working on the language program for the Elwas when she was in her 90s. She would work sometimes 20 hours a week. If she felt like she needed to get a little bankroll together, she would work 20 hours a week. In her 90s! You can't even find it. Teenagers or people in their 20s that'll work 20 hours a week. They're lazy. So this kind of brings me back to this other cat. I will work my ass off. I get this from my grandmother, okay? If the sun comes up, it's time to go to work. And I'll get in those trenches and I will bust my ass. But as soon as I see somebody else is not doing what I'm doing, and they're getting paid to do what I'm doing, I cop an attitude. Pretty soon shit going to hit. But I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. It is what it is. I've done it before. I've seen it before. I can tolerate it. But I'm not going to continue to do it without saying something. Just because for myself, if I keep doing it without saying something, it's going to be like one of them pressure cookers, you know? You get the lid on there and you crank it down. Next thing you know, you get the pressure building. You get the pressure just coming up okay next thing you know Patman's gonna blow a friggin gasket we don't want that we don't want patrick out there raising cane like that because i'll embarrass people and make people feel bad 
Next thing you know, I'll get called into the office and we'll have a little discussion. We'll have a sit down, as they like to say. You know, what cracks me up is when people say, Oh, we're going to go into the office and we're going to have ourselves a powwow. What? Really? A powwow? Come on, people. Don't use that reference. Powwow is not for the whites. Okay? We don't have powwows. When you sit down and have a conversation, it's having a conversation, man. It's not a powwow. Don't do that. That reminds me of a time when I was at Quadrant last year and the little dude says, We're going to have our weekly powwow. And then the white guy next to him, who was the assistant manager, any of you guys know who the assistant manager was? Him and I didn't get along so well because he was an arrogant little puss. Anyway, he does sort of this Indian dance and a war hoop thing. And I'm looking at him like, what the fuck? And he says, no, it's okay. I can do that. My wife is part Indian. Are you shitting me? Oh, my God. I I know I could feel the pressure. I could feel my face just turning red. It was just heating up. I wanted to punch him in the dick. But I couldn't do that, of course, because he was the assistant manager who his father-in-law is like the 20-year veteran at Quadrant. Anyhow, when we all got canned, he got canned right along with me. And he's still looking for work. He can't find a job. You know why? Because he's a puss. Karma is... A bitch! Anyway, enough of that. A couple of the phrases that really gets under my skin in this world. And one of them is this. At the end of the day. What the hell does that really mean? At the end of the day. At the end of the day, I want to make sure I know that I've done the right thing. You hear it used all the time. I hear it used mostly by athletes. I'm an athlete. At the end of the day, I want to make sure I get my contract. Take care of my people. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I just don't like that phrase. I think it sounds silly. I mean, what do you? What do you? What's the next one going to be? By the beginning of tomorrow. By the by the beginning of tomorrow, I'm going to make sure I get my contract because I'm an athlete. <laughs> so silly. But a buddy of mine used to laugh like that. We'd stay, tell each other jokes or whatever, and he'd be over there. We'd be all stoned and high and everything, and he'd be like. And that was just the way he was. He couldn't help it. And that was the funny part of it. That would just crack us up even more. Yeah, he was a funny dude. Haven't seen him for a long, long time. You ever wonder what happens to people that you just don't see anymore? You just don't hear from anymore? People that claim that when you're around them, when you're hanging around them, they're, hey man, you're like my best friend, dude. You're such a friend. Eh, it's all overrated. There's only, in your whole life, you're going to have a couple of people in your life that are really true friends. If you're lucky enough to have two or three good friends that last a lifetime, that's awesome. But they are truly few and far between. Because who can you trust? Who can you really trust? The ones that you can trust are the ones that are there for you when you're at your worst. When you're down and out, man. When your life is in a complete shithole. And you can call them up and say, hey, I need to talk. And they'll take time out of their day to have a little discussion with you. And not fault you and not criticize you. But just be a good ear. Somebody to listen. That's a good friend. Another good friend is somebody who doesn't try to bullshit you and impress you. And say things to make 
you think that they are really better than they really are. Don't lie to me and say that you are getting this or you're doing that when it's all bullshit, man. Don't do that. I can read right through it. I'm a very, very good reader of people. So don't try to bullshit Batman. Did I tell you I saw a real live Indian the other day? Down at Winco in Sumner? Yeah, he was a real Indian. You know how I know? I just know. We gave each other that sup nod. And we knew. We didn't have to say anything to each other. We just knew that we were bloods. And we went about our merry way. Like two ships passing in the night, man. I believe he was from the Puyallup Nation. But he might have been a muckle shoot. But I doubt it. They usually don't stray too far down south from their reservation. See, we, a lot of the Indians around here don't like to leave their reservation because they're a little scared to. And you can't really blame them. I get the evil eye once in a while. But a lot of times people just think I'm a Mexican. So, you know, there you go. One time back in the early 90s, I was down in Alabama. I was down there visiting somebody in Alabama. And I was real dark then because it was summertime. We all get out of the car. I'm the only brown guy, or should I say red guy. It was my ex-wife and her family. And these people were just giving me the old... They were mad-dogging me. They were actually mad-dogging me, looking at me like, What the fuck are you doing? So I gave it right back. What the fuck are you looking at? And my in-laws are like, Shh, be quiet. They don't, they don't take your kind out here very well. I'm like, What the fuck are you talking about, man? I guess they don't like them Indians down there very much. So, there you go. For all you Indians down there in Alabama, you best stay on the res too. See, the funny thing about me is this. When I look in the mirror, I don't really see a different color. But in my heart, I feel different. Being raised with the whites, I had friends that were white, black, Mexican, Asian, Hawaiian. Didn't matter to me. I just had friends. I just wanted to be friends. Color doesn't matter. In fact, my wife, she's a little black girl from Memphis, Tennessee. I don't have no, uh, color doesn't mean anything to me. So when those people were mad-dogging me, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Why you, why you doing that? I never really experienced it that harshly until then. Or maybe I just never really noticed it. Thinking back, I really don't give a shit now. And I also, at the time, didn't realize it, but since she was white and her family was white, I was in an interracial marriage. And I'm sure down there in Alabama, that wasn't tolerated very much. Maybe I'm lucky to get out of there alive. Maybe I'm lucky I didn't get lynched. Oh, well. That was in the early 90s. That was a lifetime ago, man. That was in the last century. Ain't it funny how life goes by? You know, tomorrow will be 75. Yesterday I was 40. A week ago I was 21. And a month ago I was 8 years old. And my mother was asking me on my 8th birthday, she says, Hey, do you feel a year older? And I'm 8 years old, I'm looking up at her, Yeah, I feel older. And she says, No you don't. How can that be? You don't feel older. You don't feel one year older. Go sit down somewhere. In all my life, I wondered why she resented me so much. Why she hated me. And I'm finally now, at the age of 57, realizing why. Because I reminded her of my dad, and I reminded her of her own mother. My mother hated her mom, and she hated my dad. And I know this because she said so.
But every once in a while, I'll just be standing there and my wife will say, Man, you look just like your grandma. Or she'll say, Oh man, today you look like your dad, Don Schaefer. And she doesn't mean it in a bad way. She means it in a good way. It's complimentary to me. It makes me feel good that they gave me these things. These things that I can remember them by. I'll see myself in the mirror standing a certain way. And I'm standing just like my dad. No, he wasn't a great dad. He was a shitty dad. But I still loved him because he was my dad. And that's the thing with me. My mother hated me, but I loved her. I don't know if she really hated me, but she hated who I reminded her of. I mean, how sad is that? How many years did she let that eat her up like cancer? My mother died a very angry and bitter woman. She had her reasons. We all have our reasons why we do things. It's like these guys that go out and they kill a bunch of people or they kill somebody. They had a reason, man. They had a good reason in their mind of why they're going to do these things. I don't get it. How can a guy kill his wife and two children and put them in a big old oil container and then just go on on television and fake cry like, Oh, my wife, come back home to me. I miss you so much. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about that Chris Watt strangled his pregnant wife, killed his daughters. The one daughter was pleading and begging, Don't do this to me. Don't kill me, Daddy. And he did it anyway. We need to set an example out of that motherfucker right there. Hang him out in the street. He should get no due process. We know he's guilty. He copped out to it. Why do we have to spend these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep that son of a bitch alive? Huh? Let him cop a plea so he can stay in prison for the next 50 years and get fed and we gotta pay for that shit? No. Need to hang him. Hang him now. Once he pleads guilty... Take him out back, hang him, or cut his head off, just like they do in China. They don't fuck around down there, okay? If you're guilty, you should be hung, okay? Enough is enough. We have enough DNA testing now to prove guilty or innocent almost immediately. Yeah, there's a lot of people in prison right now on death row that haven't done the killing, and I feel bad for them. Hopefully they get freed before they're executed. But with all the DNA now, there's no way that anyone should be convicted of murder without absolute proof. So nowadays, if you're guilty of murder, fuck all that due process, man. Fuck all them appeals. Give them one appeal. One. That's it. There's no sense in being on death row for 20 years. I'd rather be dead myself. If I got the death penalty, take me out and hang me, man. I don't want to sit there in death row for the next... 50 years of my life, eating a sandwich, bologna and cheese sandwich. Fuck that, man. Holy shit, I went on a rampage there, didn't I? My apologies. I uh, got off on the deep end there. I won't do that again, at least not on this podcast. But I do want all my friends to know that I have had listeners in California, Washington, of course, in five other countries. I don't know where yet. Alaska, Mississippi, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Rhode Island, and, uh-oh, Alabama. Well, my friends, this is my 10th episode. That's right, 10. I'm getting a little bit of a following. I'm getting a little bit of traction. I'm getting some good stuff going here. 
I know sometimes I don't make a lot of sense. Sometimes I rant and I rave. But this is mostly therapy for me. I'm getting this off my chest. Makes me feel absolutely wonderful. Anyway, to all my friends, I am Uwinton. This has been the Tribal Brand Podcast. Peace.